If you're looking for strong opinions, loosely held and widely shared, you've come to the right place. This is the National Talkie League. National Talkie League. Welcome once again, beleaguered talkies, to the National Talkie League. A little bit of a different episode for you today, as uh, Roger has been uh, wandering throughout Europe doing God knows what, and so uh, was unavailable for the majority of the podcast. He may be in with a, a, a special update for you later. That's yet to be determined. But nevertheless, uh, do not fear, uh, because we have a special guest in studio with us today, with me today, since it's just me, uh, and that is a friend of the pod, Ken Gardner. Hi, Ken. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Excellent. Uh, those of you that have lived in Calgary for a while may know Ken. Uh, he's a, a star of the uh, Loose Moose Theatre, master of improv. Uh, you may have also seen him on uh, FUBAR Age of Computer. Yes, that's right. I played Laser, a uh, Croatian vigilante. And who can't say that, huh? No. Uh, Everybody's done that. Exactly. Well, it was a lot of fun to do, and uh, yeah, I highly recommend taking a gander at it. Awesome. Excellent. Um, so, uh, we should probably start off, well, uh, it's technically not an interview, but we should probably find out a bit about Ken first, just so that the talkies have uh, some reference here. So, I've known Ken for... 30 years? Pretty close. 20, yeah. 20 25, some, 25 years. Like yeah. We're going to sit here and guess numbers until we get bored. Um, yeah, no, I've known Ken for a while. Ken uh, wandered up to Loose Moose way back, way, way, way back. And uh, we started doing some shows together. Uh, we became fast friends. We took a trip down to the West Coast to do some improv at all the various improv places. Uh the U.S. government didn't really like that concept. We can talk about that a bit later. And uh, since then, yeah, we've been doing shows together and uh, hanging out and uh, starting families and what have you. So tell us a bit about uh, about how you got started in uh, in improv, and then we'll move on to what you're doing now. Okay. Uh, well, I, I got started in improv because I, I out of high school, I uh, played rugby. Uh, so I played for a men's team in town and I was working in the oil patch with my brother. So there was about three years, uh, from high school that I did not meet a girl, uh, because playing rugby didn't meet a girl and, uh, uh, working in the oil patch, there were no girls to be had. And then, uh, yeah, so I came to, uh, Loose Moose, uh, really cause I wanted to meet a chick and then, uh, I found out, okay, uh, this is way different than my way of looking at things. And so did you, did you like that? Were you into it right away? Were you excited yeah. about performing or? Absolutely. Well, I jumped on stage on a bet from a few friends and, uh, immediately I was like, okay, I really like this. I don't know. I like me, like the, uh, challenge of being in scenes i like the uh, atmosphere of loose moose and i like the people around uh and yeah i stuck it out 
Yeah, you sure did. Uh, and uh, Ken, as I recall, was one of these guys who uh, some people uh, try improv and they're terrible at it and they practice and practice for years and years, and then they're still kind of terrible at it. And then there's other people that walk in the door and boom, they get it right away. Um, and you know, so when you tell people when, like when they say, Oh, am I going to get better? You can be like, I don't know. You really, you really, it's impossible to say, but Ken was one of those guys who sort of figured it out right away. Uh, if I recall correctly. Yes. And it, it did help that, uh, I didn't always improvise as myself for years. I, I always put on a character or an accent or a voice and I improvise as those characters. So I have a, a blethra of, uh, character <laughs> voices. If I can use the word blethra. You can. It's actually plethora, but what? okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was part of mine and Dave's humor. Dave constantly <laughs> correcting me. <laughs> so, uh, talkies, you may know Ken. Uh, Ken is the, the man who gave us the phrase, and then I found 20 bucks, which we'll often use on the podcast when a story has gone on. Well, actually, why don't you explain it, Ken? Why don't you explain that story for us? Uh, well, uh, a while ago, this isn't even mine, so I can't even <laughs> lay claim to it. Uh, a close friend of mine brought it to my attention years ago. He goes, well, you know, if you ever find yourself in a story and you realize, oh, uh, I don't have a point at the end of my story. I have nothing to say here. So then you can say, oh, and then I found $20. It's not a lot of money, but it's enough to get you out of the story, and and your audience is generally satisfied with that. So if it was if it was like fifty bucks, people would probably put more weight on it. Well, and then you would have to it. come up with more of an elaborate story. Right. It's like they want to know details then, but twenty bucks is like, well, okay, I'm satisfied with that. <laughs> so it's a good enough ending to yeah. your story. Uh, yeah. Often, if we forget. What the point was when we start talking, you can end with, and then I found 20 minutes. Which is great because I often uh, <laughs> forget the point. Uh, and then the other way you guys might know him is uh, recently, of course, Roger has been over in Spain. And uh, so we talked a little bit about the uh, the loose moose uh, Spanish accent, uh, where instead of the word plaza, of course, it's... It's plaza. It's plaza. Yes. And uh, so, uh, yes, I, I don't know if Ken was the originator of the loose moose Spanish accent, but between himself and Rob Mitchelson and myself, it's almost in constant use. Now. In fact, we had a whole Spanish team once called the K-Team. We were amazing, I have to say. That's true. It was spelled Q-U-E, so it was the K-Team. As in what in Spanish? Right, but also like the A-Team, like from television. Right? Yes, I, and we were really disappointed that nobody went out of their way to make an A-Team version of song for us to start <laughs> the show. <laughs> so, yes, that's the kind of thing. And uh, once we get on a roll, it uh, becomes difficult to stop doing that accent yes uh and now ladies and gentlemen we are going to do the rest of the interview spanish we're going to do everything uh, spanish or with a bad spanish accent because we know actually very little spanish so yes roger has been in malaga which is in as you know is in uh, the southern part of spain oh like the old iberian peninsula yeah it's like that but it's further south you, you know. know recently dave i have to say i just found out that i have Iberian ancestry. No, is that true? No, it's true. I did a 23andMe, and now I can legitimately do the Spanish accent with no guilt whatsoever. I am not culturally misappropriating anything. That is fantastic news. So what uh, what is happening in Spain these days? Do you have an update for us? Well, actually, I have none because I know nothing about Spain whatsoever. But I'm sure to be leaning on Roger heavily when he comes back. Well, it's not hard. He's a short man, so it's easy to lean on him. Yes, 
Nine. That's true. So. Well, I have a background story or two about Roger too that nobody else would know. Oh, interesting. Well, we may have to get that out of you for sure. National Talkie League. Worth every penny. All right, so we brought Ken in. Uh, not just to uh, speak Spanish to us all day, although that's a barrel of fun for sure. Um, so, Ken, we were talking earlier, you uh, you started out as a loose moose guy. Um, and then you started, uh, if I remember correctly, you just started, started picking up like odd construction jobs. Or did you actually go to school and train in uh, sort of the construction drafting kind of field? Well, actually, I started, uh, before I started Loose Moose, the, the year that I, uh, I was actually in my second year at SAIT for architecture when I started Loose Moose. Oh, okay. So I was into drafting already, and I play, paid my way through university and college as a, uh, uh, as a contractor. So I worked for a finishing carpenter for many years and uh, home builders and whatnot, and so I was always very handsy. I didn't really... Sorry, you were very handsy? Yeah, that was very handsy. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people have actually um, didn't want me to be so handsy. <laughs> but no, I'm very good with my hands. I do a lot of contracting. Uh, in fact, uh, I believe I have a very crooked finger from a table saw incident a long time ago. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, no, I have been building stuff my whole life. Okay, so and uh, at some point you decided to kind of jump on the, uh, the the like the contracting side of things. Yeah. So how long have you kind of been doing that? Uh, well, I con I I think I've been contracting all along. Like I used to work for various uh, finishing carpenters and builders, but but then uh, as I started improvisation and whatnot, I always had to pay the bills because. Uh, alert uh it didn't pay very well just being an artist uh and so i, I used uh, contracting to always supplement the income whether that be hardwood flooring or finishing carpentry casings and doors and um, windows putting in roofs all that sort of stuff yeah i remember a lot of flooring at one point i don't know if that's that's right. Yes, I worked for my cousin as a hardwood floor installer. So uh, I'm I I can answer any of your flooring needs. <laughs> What's the biggest thing people do wrong when they're doing hardwood flooring? Uh, I would have to say probably not letting your wood acclimatize in your house. Uh, there's some products now that they don't have to be acclimatized as much. But if you're actually doing hardwood. Uh, and you get, oh, I got a great deal from Home Depot, and uh, it's it's two bucks a square foot. And you get it, and it just got off a chip uh, ship from China, and that stuff needs to be cured for, like, I would almost leave it a month and a half. Or actually check the moisture content of the wood and the moisture content of your house. Because even if there's 3% difference, that wood is either going to expand or retract uh, it, more than likely it'll retract. It probably has up to 12% uh, percent, uh, moisture, and then inside your house is only like 8 or 9% moisture, and then that wood will shrink, and you're going to end up with gaps in your floor, and then you freak out. Wow. So I would have thought it was more like temperature, just make sure it's not the wood's not colder because it's been outside or whatever, but that makes a lot of sense, I guess, you want it to be. The way it's going to be before it goes. See, that's a good tip right there. And Calgary in general is 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 a desert. 
Uh, like if you get something even from Vancouver, like uh, West Coast uh, maple, uh, it has a way higher moisture content than what we have in Calgary. And any of the products that you see at uh, Timbertown generally have been acclimatized to the Calgary uh, we uh, Calgary weather. But if if it hasn't, I would check your moisture. Huh. And so I guess especially if you're buying stuff from like a Home Depot or a Rona or something like that, you want to give it a little time to acclimatize acclimatize that's a yes. great tip uh, ken was looking at her doors earlier because <laughs> he came over and i was like yeah this door is not closing right so uh so you must get a lot of that all the time from everyone you know um yeah a lot uh, a lot of times i and i also did a, a number of builds so i have a number of clients that i'm pretty much on call well why didn't you just try this yeah. Um, and I know I've like texted you, I've taken a picture. Hey, there's this thing. What do I do? So, um, do you like that kind of stuff or does it get annoying after a while? Or? No, I like it. I mean, it's, it's, it's always nice to be knowledgeable right. and it's good to help out friends. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of shady people out there, but I'm not one of them. I like to give free advice if it's easy. Well, I remember at one point I was working on a, a commission, a big Lego model, and we actually sat down and you were kind of helping me out trying to figure out the the sizing of things and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, and that was more, from, I guess, from the drafting side of things, because I think we had just the plans for the building. And so it was you were interpreting them for me, I think. Yes. And I'm very jealous that you got to build an architectural model and I should have jumped in with you, but I was too busy actually <laughs> building a house at the time. Uh, well, there'll be more. Don't worry. All right. I'm sure uh, down the road. Um, okay. So you, you do some drafting as well. Yeah. I, uh, drafting and design. I, uh, I will, I work for, uh, well, I, I am a small developer myself. I have a group of investors who will buy a property and then we'll tear down the old house that's there. And then I design a duplex or a fourplex, uh, and then we uh, we build it. And then I'm on the site, site supervising after the build. But I'm also there all the way along with the development permit and the building permits and working with city council or working with uh, community associations uh, to uh, get inner city density. Right. So um, do, does your, do your investors find the property or do you find the property? There's a little bit of both. We have a real estate agent who will find a lot of these properties uh, or she'll send them to my investors. My investors will say, hey, why don't you swing by this place and have a look? And then we'll try and identify any issues that'll cost extra money, uh, things that we don't like about it, which would make the property harder to sell. Um, for example, we just looked, I just looked at a property on the way over here, right next to Bow Trail, and we were concerned about the noise from Bow Trail. Um, or you look at an old retaining wall that, uh, that's failing that would have to be replaced, and all of that adds up. So then someone can't make money at the end of the day. So if you see a property sitting on the market and you wonder why, why didn't that place sell? It's, there's usually a reason. Right. Okay. So uh, between you guys, you look at different properties and I guess the investors make the call at the end of the day because they're the ones. It's their money. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I wish I had enough money to uh, uh, buy these places myself, but not yet. No, just one day though. Um, okay. So then they decide, okay, we're going to, we're going to buy this property. Uh, are you always like leveling whatever's there? I guess if it's inner city, you probably want to put something bigger in. Usually, I mean the uh, nine times out of 10, sometimes it doesn't make sense. We wouldn't buy the property if we, uh, if it didn't make economic sense to tear it down eventually, because, uh, 
if you you have to increase the density in order to make make money uh, doing this. Uh, if you don't, if you just try and flip it, you know, you're not you, your investment isn't very long. But uh, you know, if maybe for a heritage site or something, I would. But uh, but it, your investment might not be very long. But you're not uh, you're not making that much money, and it doesn't make sense for me and my team to go in there otherwise. So okay, so you go in you strip out whatever you can from the house if there's anything of value i'm assuming you just kind of sell that to the reusable guys or something like that yeah as we get uh, tim's reusables i believe they'll come in and they they can kind of st- take whatever they want sometimes they take window you know odd windows have been replaced uh old gas fireplaces wood stoves um I'll generally, if, if it's handy, if there's, if there's asbestos and we have to take out the asbestos, then, uh, then a lot of the drywall's down and then we'll expose all the wiring and sometimes we'll strip out all the wiring and I just give that to copper comp, uh, to, uh, metal companies and you make a little bit of money that way, but you try and recycle as much as you can. Uh, right. Okay. And so once that's done, once you got rid of everything of value, does how does that work? Does someone just come in with a bulldozer and knock what's left down? Or? Uh, yeah, we have a, an excavator. will come in here. He has his big bulldozer and uh, and uh, his, uh, I can't remem- remember the name of it right scoopy now. Scoopy thing. The scoopy thing. Yeah. Yeah, he'll take the scoopy thing and he'll knock the house and he'll knock the garage down. And then all of that gets uh, put in a big pile. And then he has trucks come by and he dumps it all in the trucks and they take it away to the landfill. Okay, so now you've got rid of all the stuff. Um, what do you? Uh, there's probably a basement, or did the older ones not have basements? Or? No, no, they mostly did, uh, and that gets dug right down. You oh, do. so you, he digs it right out. Okay, he digs it right out. He tries not to go too much lower uh, because he's also the same guy generally that will come in and excavate the new basement. Oh, okay. So sometimes we go a little bit deeper, uh, or uh, or. I've already built to a certain standard because you don't want to go you don't want to go too low and then have to uh, build a new footings on top of gravel or something uh, right. that's higher. So you have to know where your level is going to sit. Okay, so I was going to ask about concrete, but obviously he's taken all that out too. Yeah. So, uh, so you're basically starting with dirt. Dirt and a big hole in the ground. A big hole in the ground. And then so next in probably the concrete guys uh, putting like a floor or something. No, or? usually it's uh, usually you would if it's a fourplex we would have the plumbers in there to do a trunk line. Oh, okay. And then uh, they do their trunk line, and then the cribbers come in and they put in the footings, uh, and then the footings cure for a little bit, and then you put in the uh, uh, the walls, uh, the basement walls. And then, then all that gets uh, gets uh, treated with a retardant, or we use uh, just a moisture retardant on the outside, or or we'll do a Duradec type system. Okay, so now you got your floor, you got your basement taken care of, you got the flooring, everything's done, and so then is it just carpentry after that? Or? Yeah, and then framing, you frame the first floor, and once the first floor is framed, then you can backfill, because you need that lateral support of the top floor, or else you put a backfill, and then all of a sudden your concrete walls bow in. Okay. Um, and uh, then the roof, and then plumbing, and then electrical, and then uh, drywall, and then finishing <laughs> carpentry, and then 
Then I come in <laughs> and I do flooring. <laughs> so, but during all this process, are you like the, like a general contractor? Is that what you call it? Like the guy, you're in charge of everything. You're making sure everybody's coming in and staying on schedule and staying on budget. Is that your, is that yeah. what you do or? Yeah. I, and I, oftentimes I can't stand to just sit in my truck and make phone calls. So I make a, I make a half a dozen phone calls first thing in the morning, making sure trades are coming or going or whatever the next day. And then, uh, and then I'll be on site usually fixing something or uh, reframing something, doing the safety rails, uh, building safety ramps, uh, shoveling sidewalks. It's not as glorious as it sounds. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess here because you're doing this with a bunch of different sites, you have, do you have the same, you have the same people come in? That would make sense, right? A lot for the of most it, part? For the most part. I mean, I, uh, it depends on how busy we are. I mean, usually I had... I had two or three sites at a time, and uh, but we would use try and get our trades to jump from one site to the other. Right, so you know the people that you're working with. Yeah. So there's an all of So maybe you can. I mean, we're we're, we're mid process here, but maybe you can answer this question for me because we were my wife and I were discussing this actually earlier today. So the one thing that we've noticed that people in the trades, the reputation that people have in in the trades get, is that you can't depend on them. So maybe you can answer that. Maybe you can clear up the mystery of why is it that trade people never show up when they say they're going to show up? Uh, I would have to say usually because we're uh, busy. Uh, I mean, I don't, uh, some guys just don't want to, or if the job's not big enough, you know, if it's a small job and it's like, oh, my front door seems to squeak when I open it. Why can't I get somebody to come fix my squeak? Because the guy has uh, a framing job somewhere or he has uh, he's putting in 17 uh, um, uh, apartment buildings full of windows and he doesn't have time to fix your squeak. <laughs> I mean, in the busy times, that was a case. In the, in the non-busy times, uh, it's you know it maybe you just didn't find the right person because yeah because it's not so much that that guy who like won't take the job that's that's one thing but it's the guy who says yeah i'll be there tomorrow afternoon at mm. one and then he just doesn't show up right i try to be one uh person i i have been guilty of forgetting once in a while <laughs> but because i usually i tend not to write things down but the phone has become very handy when you actually schedule things and then set a reminder but uh once in a while you forget, but mostly I try to show up. I try to show up. I try to be there. I try to give people quotes and I try to give them to them you know, within a reasonable time frame. And, uh, and then if you don't want the job, a tradesman will give you a really high quote. And then, <laughs> and then if you take it, then it makes him want the job a little bit more. Right. Yeah, no, I think I've done that a couple times too when I'm quoting on a commission. Do I really want to do this? No, it's going to cost a lot. Yeah. Oh, you still want to do it? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I feel better. <laughs> All right. Well, that makes sense. Uh, okay. So then you get to the towards the end of the job, and then I guess once once everything's in and the floors are down, then you're turning it back over to your real estate person. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to it on that stage. I mean, there's like uh, lockout in finishing when you put all the locks on the doors and the door handles on and all like a finishing carpenter really is that he will finish everything from towel bars to uh, toilet paper holders to knobs on uh, cupboard doors and 
all of that stuff. And all of that has to be done. Then the painters come in and they paint everything. And then there's probably, uh, you know, there's a couple weeks of deficiencies at least that have to be fixed. And that's just noticing things that are wrong and getting the guys back in to correct. Or? You either get guys back in to correct, or if it's your problem, it's something you're correcting. Uh, I mean, there's always going to be something and you can walk through a house, you know, every single time and be as picky as you want to be and you'll always find something. Right. Uh, okay. So once you're happy with everything, is there like a formal, like you call someone and say, okay, it's done. I'm happy with it now. Start selling it. Or has it already started being looked at by this? Well, it usually depends on where it is. Some are on the market. We'll usually finish one unit and then uh, put it on the market as soon as it's done. And then they have the option to buy the other markets. And sometimes a person can come in and make a few changes if that hasn't been, uh, hasn't been addressed yet. Okay. So, sorry, you're talking about like a, you've got a, like a fourplex, you yeah. finish one of the units, they start selling that. Someone comes in and says, I like it, but I want the bathroom on the other side or the, the counters shaped the other way, that kind of thing. Yeah, it depends on where you are in the build. Right. Like if they do, if they do manage to get there before you've uh, did a whole bunch of plumbing and a whole bunch of electrical in all the walls, you could move a few walls here and there. You could change some orientation a little bit. Uh, and, but, but you get into trouble. You need a pretty secure uh, deposit once someone is making changes before a unit is done. Right. Okay, so otherwise they're like, oh, I like this unit, but I want the one facing on the south, so... I want the one facing on the south, and I want a different color of granite than the one you've specced, and I want different paint colors, okay. uh, and that sort of thing. You know, they can usually make those changes pretty easily. And so you are you got the one done, and now your guys are working on the other three while people are buying or, or yep. figuring that out. And you said you have, like, up to, like, three or four sites at a time, you are yep. saying before, so... Uh, and is that they're probably also at various stages. I'm assuming that would make more sense because otherwise you'd need the same people at every site at the same time. So yeah. this one starts, then you move it forward. Then the first guys go to that one. Is that, yeah, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. Um, all right. And so you were saying that most of the stuff you do is inner city. And so you're taking like, I guess a single house or single family dwelling and you're upgrading those, uh, you, you used to call it infills, right? Yeah. So we don't do a lot of infills anymore. Like just tearing down a single family and do, putting up a single family uh, just because the lot sizes, uh, they want to increase inner city density. And then, you know, if you tear down a house and you bought a lot for $600,000 and then you tear that down and then you spend $500,000 to build something there and then you have a $1.5 million house uh, and in today's uh, economic environment, it's hard to sell that. Right. There's not a lot of margin there as yeah. far as building it. I mean, I guess if someone privately wanted to buy that lot, knock the house down and put up their own house, it's a different story. But And I've done that before too. A client, someone will have the lot already. It's their house. They want to tear it down and do another house. Uh, then I'll do that. Right. So then you're not, you don't have to worry about selling it to the investors or anything like that. It's just yep. a straight rate, right? Yep. This is what I'm going to charge you to do all this stuff. Do you do it like a flat rate or is it an hourly thing? Or? I usually do, uh, I'll usually do a percentage. Um, I don't, depends on what the, uh, what the project is. Oh, sorry. I meant for like, if someone would, someone already had the lot. Yeah. A percentage of, of the cost of building. Oh, I see. Okay. So, okay. 
that makes sense. Uh, and then, of course, like yeah, as you were saying, the city is trying to increase the density uh, in the inner city. So uh, you and I were talking earlier. Uh, there was a, an article, obviously, by a developer who was talking about the idea that, you know, we haven't been doing a lot of new single family neighborhoods uh, because there's been a lot more focus on the inner city and the density in that. And he was saying, well, it's time for us to start doing that again. So I don't know if everybody really appreciates the difference uh, and the costs that are involved in that. You and I were talking about that before, so maybe you could you could chat a bit about that. Uh, yeah, I think the uh, outer city developer, I guess you could say, uh, the, the big home builders and the big developers uh, made lots and lots and lots of money uh, in years past building neighborhoods that expanded this city to gargantuan uh, size. And then the city also had to provide those services. And then a few years back, um, so sorry, we're talking. Uh, you got to have roads that go out to those neighborhoods. You got to have fire service. You got to have police service. You got to put out uh, power, plumbing. plumbing. Uh, you have sanitary, storm, storm sewers. All of that has to go out there and transit. Transit. The city was flipping the bill for a lot of that, and uh, and then the developers were just uh, you know profiting from selling their lots to home builders and then the home builders were putting up hundreds and hundreds of houses at a time right so they were doing quite well but now uh they've kind of they've kind of changed the system a little bit and i think they would the develop old developers would love it to go back the way it was but i don't think it's happening anymore i think they got to build inner city or change or they're going to be the in the way of the dinosaur. Well, and I would say that the city, because the, the city gets final say, like if someone comes to the city and says, we want to develop a neighborhood right here, it's it's on the city to, to approve that, right? So they could say, well, look, you're going to have to make some changes to this, or you're going to have to cough up a bit more to cover, you guys are going to have to build a fire station in the school or, or what have you, right? Because that, that's what we're talking about is neighborhoods going in, the developer you know, doesn't, ha doesn't throw in any of that stuff. So now the city's got to build a school there because now you've got hundreds or thousands of kids in that part of the city, like the Northwest here, we have one high school. They finally just finished building, but there is no big high school for, uh, for most of the Northwest at this point. Um, so it must be that kind of thing too, right? Absolutely. I yeah. mean, there's, they have to do it. Uh, they have to do it all. And, and then the developers receive the profit, but they're, they have changed that system. Now there's a little bit more, uh, sharing going on and it's harder to buy up old farmland and just turn it into a, a big neighborhood uh without without those services getting up the, uh getting built to there uh now and now the city uh, the city and the developers have to pitch in to do that and that kind of makes sense um yeah i've been actually doing some work uh some on my the lego side of things we i've been doing some workshops with the transportation planning committee mm. uh or members of that committee and uh so it's, it's always interesting um a lot of what the those those workshops are about are what they call complete streets so getting the uh getting and I'm, I'm speaking for them now but at this point it's it's uh getting those contractors or some of those people together and saying hey you know when we bring you guys in to build this thing Keep in mind that there's also this guy and that guy, and he's got to build his thing and you got to build your thing. But ultimately, we're all building this street so that the people can use it. So it's not just about can I get 
nine rows of traffic in there it's also about is there room for a bike lane can we put a pathway in can we add things where people are actually going to want to get together in that and so i wonder if that's that's sort of a new or a different way of looking at things it's more about what's going to happen in this area when we're done building it not just how many houses can we slap in this property right i do think they started to get better at it i do think that there are some neighborhoods that were better than others done by those developers when they actually made it you know a walkable neighborhood they made like something like mckinsey town or whatnot where it had its little streets and stores and a community hall and a, a you know the sidewalks and a skate park and a, a hockey arenas like i think that's a big part of community and so like as an inner city developer trying to uh, make a walkable neighborhood like i like the idea of having some you know uh, uh, bike bike lanes that people can uh, people can get to work from making our city more accessible taking a car off the road uh, m- close to transit uh, it makes more uh, for more community and and that's what inner city development is has on its side but outer city they have to do those things in order to make it a community like you sure you have hundreds and hundreds of people but we're commuting to work somewhere, but like, that's not, that's not a community. You don't say hi to your neighbor every day, but if you have those parks, you have those bike lanes, you have all of the things that make a, make a small town feel in a big city, then it's, it's better for everyone. Well, yeah. And that's, a, that's something that people talk about a lot, right? Oh, I want that small town feel. Those people don't live in small towns, obviously, but uh, no, yeah. I want the convenience <laughs> of the big city. I want the big box store and I want to buy all my stuff from China. Well, and that's that's always the trade-off too, because you know I, we're out here in suburbia. You live not crazy far out, but you live kind of out in the suburbs as well. Um, and it's, so it's that trade-off between uh, having a backyard and having some space. Uh, well, like for for us, we're gardeners. <laughs> so are you? Yeah, I am too. <laughs> too fun. Except I can't grow anything. Right. Uh, so yeah, we like the idea that we have a, a lot where we can do stuff like that, and uh, you know, we we kind of like living out in the suburbs. So it's not like a single solution, but you're right as far as bringing in more people. You can't just keep expanding out and out and out or at some point it becomes Airdrie right or you should just be yeah. part of Airdrie we'll annex Airdrie yeah. first we'll annex Airdrie and then <laughs> we'll annex everywhere else. Balzac is next uh, talk to, tell me about this new mall do you know anything about this new mall that's going in new oh, oh. Horizon is that what it's called no I have no idea oh I'm... so okay so I'll tell you about it yeah, then, I guess. so out near uh, Cross Iron Mills right yeah. across the yeah. street literally uh, there's a the second biggest mall I think in the country, possibly the second Alberta. biggest. Second wasn't biggest. the Cross Iron Mills the second biggest? Uh, it may mall? have been, but this one is apparently this one's bigger. bigger. Yeah, it, but and it's right there. Yeah, and I think it's uh, I think it's sort of like an Asian themed mall. So they're actually selling the they're like like leasing out the stalls or the the shops, I guess, as opposed to just sort of you know you go in and rent or whatever. So they're actually oh. selling. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> So I guess you have not much to say. About no, that. I don't have much to say about that one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, so other than it's a day's drive from your house, probably. Uh, yeah, it's a day's drive. I did. I did work on. Uh, I, I think I was working for an engineering company, and I did do some uh, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning for one store in the uh, Cross Iron Mills. But excellent. And was, uh, did you use Stony or did you use Deerfoot to get there? Uh, it was Deerfoot at the time because Stony wasn't built yet. Oh, okay. Fair yes. Enough. Yeah, it's interesting now with Stony because it sort of changes how 
people think about getting from one place to another. You know, it's um, I live way in the southeast of the city, and uh, um, and my daughter plays at uh, plays soccer, indoor soccer, and she's either at the soccer center, which is very close to us and very convenient. The one or, on Fifth Second. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or uh, there's uh, the Bears Paw one, which is way on this end of town. Right. And it's either Stony Trail, which is a 45-minute drive going 110, or you go through the city, which is a 45-minute drive through traffic and pulling your hair up. So, uh, <laughs> and I don't know which is better. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, we like Stony a lot here because, of course, we can hop on Stony and be out of town in five minutes, uh, heading to the mountains, of course. But, so it's uh, like the big city. You want to get out of the city. So I don't know. I don't know if we're winning as a society, Dave. I don't know. I don't know. I, I like to build things and I like to build houses. I wish I if there's more people out there that want to build a nice green house, like a solar panels and everything, but like an old architectural field, call me. I would love to do that. Well, my wife wants to do that. So we will call you one day when we finally get our, our money together and purchase our, our property. Yeah, she wants to, to totally green it up. That'd be great. I think that would be to get someone to actually pay for it and then not scoff at the bill because it's <laughs> for, uh, I'm not paying me this money. I'm paying other people to build green or yeah, if you're but, a green contractor, lower your prices. My wife wants the house. I'll be the one doing the scoffing. Right. You're listening to the National Talkie League, broadcasting since before we were good at this. All right. So, of course, uh, often on the podcast, we're talking uh, politics. There's been a lot to talk about lately. Uh, I don't know how much of a politics follower Ken is, but maybe we'll check in with him and see what he thinks about some of the things that are going on right now. So, Ken, uh, this whole uh, uh, prime minister's trip to India. Tell me about that. What do you think? Well, I think Prime Minister Harper has been in power for a long time and it's time for him to give up. All right. Well, okay. Fair enough, Ken. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that that is the case then. What? <laughs> That's great. That's great. You know what? You know, uh, we. I, I'm, I'm glad that Mr. Obama uh, has come and won the election here in Canada. And we ha- are, are moving forward because Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Excellent. Um, no, okay. I oh, do sorry. know. I do know that Prime Minister Trudeau uh, was in India, yeah, and he uh, was dressed like a local. If a local was getting married every day, <laughs> uh, and wanted to dress in their Sunday best. Now, see, this is interesting because you don't you, you don't follow politics in general, right? I mean, you you stay up on whatever but you don't go you don't actively seek it out is that right no i i usually try and glean my political opinions off my friend dave and roger <laughs> excellent uh so this might be fun because we might get an idea of what the uh, layman thinks yeah what's getting out to you as opposed yeah. to because you know the whole media and how segmented it is right now so that's interesting that that's what you know about that trip uh, not wrong in any way, shape, or form, mind you. Uh, all right, so I did didn't know that uh, he didn't he w- wasn't as successful as he hoped because he's always trying to get the you know he's always trying to get investment dollars or he's trying to get uh, trying to sell Canada in places. But India is very far away from Canada, and China's very uh, I mean it's a bit closer, I suppose. Uh, but I think it's difficult for us to sell to these markets without actually uh, without actually a 
form of transportation because everyone's looking uh, looking for a better, cheaper way to do things. But uh, I don't think that India's population of uh, what is it a billion now? One billion, one point three billion. One point three billion people really care about uh, a nation that only has what thirty two million? Uh, about thirty eight. Thirty eight million. So they don't really care. They don't have to. I mean, we have a lot of resources, but then are we going to uh, always get rid of our resources to sell them to uh, sell them to places that will use them up? Well, and uh, I know that India just recently made a lot of a uh, lot of oil based deals with the United States. So that would be the kind of thing that had we been quicker to to market, we could have maybe jumped in on that. And uh, but yeah, it seems like uh, my understanding from this last trip was that uh, they they came back and they said we made a billion dollars worth of investment deal. And then as the more information from it came out, the idea was that uh, companies in India were going to invest two hundred and fifty million dollars in Canada. And Canadian companies were going to invest seven hundred and fifty million in India. Well, that sounds so, fair. Sounds equitable. Yeah, I mean that. You know, if you're going to set up some trade deals, that that might not be the best way to go. I mean, who's to say? I'm not a. I'm not an economist. I'm not a. I'm not an economist. Economism is good in theory, but it just doesn't work. I'm not an economy, but I play one on TV. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if laughs were an economy, we would be a recession. Oh goodness. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Okay. So what else is going on in the politics? Oh, just yesterday, the Alberta party, uh, elected a uh, leader who they hope will, uh, allow them to grow in the next election. Uh, do you know much about the Alberta party? I do know that the last Alberta party guy, uh, uh, he stepped down. Correct. Uh, he stepped down now. I don't understand why, because I don't understand. He he thought his views were too narrow minded. Was I it? Or was... No, I, I think it was more he had, he felt that he had done everything he could to grow the party, and that he uh, with, under his leadership the party couldn't progress any further. Mm. I believe um, he was also the only uh, MLA that was elected from the Alberta party. Since then, two other uh, MLAs have decided to quit their parties. And join the Alberta Party, so they actually have three seats now out of the eighty-seven seats. That we How do have. you feel about uh, um, MLAs changing their party status? I don't know. It's it's a tricky one um, because I didn't elect no Alberta Party representative, and now you changed your mind. You were a fiscal conservative before, and now you're a Alberta Party. What the hell? My vote doesn't count anymore. You just checked. Took the balls off my vote. Well, and that's a hundred percent true. Uh, the problem, of course, is that you you don't elect a party; you elect a person, right? So, you, no. what you've technically done is said, "I want this guy," and then that guy says, "Well, I don't want to be with those guys anymore. I'm going to go hang out with these guys." Um, but yeah, I mean, there's been some talk back and forth about should we have another election if that happens, or uh, I mean, the whole thing with the UCP, right? So technically. The UCP is the combination of the Wild Rose Party and the oh, PC right. Party. So none of those people were actually elected as the UCP. So technically, you could say the entire opposition right now. I is can't in believe that vote. it. So, yeah. I can't believe it. Who set that up? What's going on? <laughs> I know exactly. Well. So, um, so yeah. Of course, in the last election, we had uh, the right, the Wild Rose, and the PCs split their vote, and that allowed the NDP to gain a majority because uh, in a number of ridings um, the combined vote for the NDP was less than if you put 
the, the uh, two, two sides of the right together. together right. So there's a lot of speculation that, you know, they're, the NDP is already behind the ball. They're already com- campaigning as though they're in second place because that's the way it looks at this point. Um, so we've got Rachel Notley on the, the NDP side. We've got Jason Kenney on the, the UCP side. So um, I'm not sure where you're sitting on that or whether you care to talk about that or not. But how do you sort of see... Uh, like the situation in Alberta right now, what do you, what do you hear? What do you know? What are the people who work for you? Do any of those guys ever talk politics or? Well, a lot of my uh, people I work with are, uh, uh, are foreign nationals. So uh, uh, one of my closest friends is Albanian and uh, he doesn't know much about uh, Canadian politics, but he's glad to be out of communism. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, I, I do think that, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of a green personality, but I also have some conservative views when it comes to pipelines and being from oil country. So, uh, I do think that the NDP does have a place in Alberta. I do think that Rachel Notley has done some uh, good things. I do think she, uh, I do think that, uh, they're, their mandate uh, of the whole NDP party isn't what Alberta wants uh, in general, because I do think we we have a, we have a lot of oil and we really would like to sell that, and that's what's given everybody our lifestyle. And being from the construction industry and going through a recession, my income depends on uh, oil execs and people who work for oil companies buying my house. Uh, buying the places I build. So, uh, you know, my income is directly affected through uh, pipelines and whatnot. So I think that is important. I don't know uh, necessarily uh, which pipeline is better than the others, uh, but I do think that uh, when it comes to uh, Jason Kenney and Rachel Notley, as long as they are pro-pipeline, I think that's okay, but I do think that you get too conservative in your views and you get you get the wild rose or the hard right and that's out of my wheelhouse yeah so that's the interesting question now is i mean the the ucp is the uh the official opposition but what we don't really have a good sense of what kind of a party they are yet like how far right are they planning to go yeah if Uh, i start goose stepping i'll know it's too far (laughs) it's like okay (laughs) that's too much but uh i do think if they if they come in, if they win the election, uh, then, you know, we'll take what we get. But I think it's important to, uh, uh, yeah, let them have their day. So where, where, how do you see the next election going? What? I don't know. Um, I'll vote. I'll vote. I make sure I vote every single time. I do try and research the uh, candidates. I mean, I, I did vote for Rachel Notley. That's true. Uh, I did not vote for... Uh, Wait a minute, so you you, li- you, don't, you don't live in Edmonton, Ken. You didn't vote for Rachel Notley. I, I did. You voted for someone in the NDP running in your... Yes, yes, that's you're right. you're riding, That's right. right. Okay, just, just clarifying. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know their name. <laughs> so you were, you're a party voter then? Yeah, I'm in a this, party in voter. In this case, In yeah. this case, I was a party voter. Yeah, well, fair enough. I think most people are. Yeah. I think apart from... I mean, there are some people that, like you said, go out and research the candidates and know those individuals. And then there's people who live in ridings where fairly prominent people or, or politicians uh, live. And so odds are you end up voting for those people. Yeah. I mean, um, if Oprah uh, gets uh, runs for president, I can't vote for her, but I might. <laughs> so, okay. So you, so you're, you're voting for party last time. So, but 
do you do you have a guess or a sense as to how the next election are going? Do you think the do you think the people are okay with the NDP? You think they're going to keep or like Albertans in general are going to keep the NDP in? Do you think they're going to be like get rid of them? Where do where do you see it coming down? I mean, I do think that uh, the Conservatives are a bit naive in the sense that the population is changing. I mean, they have an old Conservative base of baby boomers that really are hard. Uh, conservatives, but there's a lot of immigrants. There's a lot of people that with uh, young people with liberal liberal views that are uh, that that don't necessarily think that way, and mm. they don't necessarily like. If you're looking at a generation of twenty somethings who may never own a house because they can't afford a house. And you think they're going to vote that, for Because the Kenny? city's now making all those developers pay for everything. That's why they can't afford it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it's because the, the inner city developers are just profiteering yeah. on the backs of millennials. Ripping down those old houses and putting up some big fourplexes yeah, everywhere. Yeah, it's like we want to keep our asbestos World War II house. <laughs> it's like built. No, but you make a great point because... Uh, in the same way you were saying earlier that, yeah, they, an NDP party in Alberta has to move further right from where an NDP party would normally be because it is Alberta and you have to deal with oil and you have to sell oil. So you can't be as far left and as far green as you would be in another province. I think you're absolutely right that on the, the right-hand side, you do also have to react to the fact that times are changing. So um, the issue of uh, gay marriage. Just as an example, you can't be anti-gay marriage anymore because there's so much support for it now. You're never going to win that. There's no point in even bringing it up. Right? I'm I'm already married, uh, not to a gay man, but uh, I'm for gay marriage. All right. Yeah. They right. they they should be just as happy as me. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I think you're absolutely right. Uh. The way I see the next election coming down is that. There's no question that that rural Alberta is going to is going to vote right. They just will. That's how yeah. it goes, uh, and that's thirty some odd seats. So really, the UCP need fourteen seats to win the election, right? Right. So they got to win Calgary, and there's and that's probably enough. But Calgary, Red Deer, Lethbridge. Yeah. So you're right. They're going to have to appeal a bit more to the urban voters now. They're going to have to tone down the the Lake of Fire, Wild Rose style stuff. And if they don't do that, they're going to be in a bit of trouble because they won't be able to win those seats, I think. I think you're 100% right about that. Yeah. Um, the NDP, on the other hand, they got a lot of issues they got to deal with right now because they're not going to win any of those urban or sorry rural seats so out of the 87 seats that's 30 already they're not getting right you need 44 for a majority yeah. so there's 30 where they're probably not even going to compete um odds are they're going to hold most of edmonton because edmonton seems to be even a little more liberal than calgary uh so yeah they got to figure they got to find those seats and figure out which ones so it's going to be interesting in that regard i think it's not an election anymore where it's just like let's see how everyone voted now it's going to be like this is the area you need to win, and this is the area you need to win. I just drew things in the air with my pen for yeah, those. Yeah, and of you it was listening. very clear. But as a draftsman, I thought that he should have been more accurate. Absolutely, absolutely, hundred um, percent. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, and you were saying too that 
they, they got to worry about the views of the younger people. The one problem with the younger people is they tend not to vote as much as older people. I think that's changing. I wonder, or is it changing? I, yeah, a little bit, but, but, but I do think as they get older, they tend as, to vote as, more. You know, as soon as they get out of university or around in, uh, once they have they have an ideology they've developed their militant views in university and then then all of a sudden okay i'm gonna use my voting rights right i'm gonna vote oh no i gotta go pregnant now i got a baby <laughs> i'm a bit more conservative now because i gotta protect my baby and protect oh i had another baby oh i got too many babies i need a better job okay i'm getting more conservative i need those pipelines i got a job in an oil field oh no Oh, well, I, 100% right. I mean, often the... Uh, I mean, I was way more like, liberal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was way more liberal and uh, opinionated when I was younger. And now that I'm getting older, I'm getting crotchety and conservative. If you if you ask a 20-year-old or someone who's in college still whether we should have a, uh, a universal wage where people should just get a certain amount of money without working, and then if they want to get a job and earn more, they could do that, Right. The universal, you know, basic living wage kind of thing. You get you'll way more twenty year olds will be in favor of that than fifty year olds because the fifty year olds are going to be like, you know what? I had to work my whole life. What the yeah. hell is this? You yeah. just get you just get money. Yeah. I'm encouraging you not to work. Is that what's yeah. going on? Yeah, then I could play Xbox. They got new <laughs> Call of Duty game. I'm going to play it all the time. Absolutely right. And then, of course, the older you get, the more you have that you want to hang on to. And so all of a sudden things like, uh, well, the estate tax is a big one where often the, the liberal side of things is like, no, no, no. Even if you've got a bunch of money, when you die, that should all revert back to the state. That shouldn't be yours. Your your heirs don't get to just inherit the, all that money, right? They should pay. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, that. And if you spend your whole life working for something, you might be a little more of the opinion that eh, screw that, that's mine. Why are you trying to take it? Yeah, just because I give it to my kid now, you think you get some of it? Like, come on. It's funny. I have uh, I have an older friend of mine who uh, had a university anecdote to a kid who would. I'm sorry, an anecdote. Anecdote and an antidote. <laughs> an antidote. That's antidote. It. That's right. <laughs> See, Dave Rare correcting me again. See, the, our comedy, I was, we were filled with this. <laughs> um, so, uh, like in a university, would you want your marks? So, uh, I worked all my hard, uh, all my life. I, you know, I pay my bills, I pay my taxes. I've accumulated a certain amount of money. I give it all to my kids eventually. But uh, should I give it all to them right away? Should they not have to work hard? Or are they going to work hard? Uh but a kid, if it's like in university, are you going to uh, earn a degree? Well, why don't we just give a degree to everybody? There you go. We'll just give a degree to everyone. But I worked for my degree. I worked hard for my degree. Yes, you did. Good for you. Good for you. Well you, done. You earned a degree. Well, <laughs> I worked hard for my stuff. I should be able to keep my stuff. <laughs> All right. So the Alberta election aside and what the prime minister is doing in India aside. Uh, tell me about the the... The thing, the state of things in the, the country right now. Uh, so the liberals have been in charge for uh, for a little while now. Are you seeing anything different? Do you, f- you have feel better about the country? Do you feel worse about the country? Are things changing the way you want them to, or not how you want them to? I mean, I do think there is some sunny ways uh, governing going on uh, when it comes into a political debate on a pipeline going to BC or not. Uh, that. He said he was for a pipeline and then, okay, I'm just going to take off to India uh, for a while. Maybe Alberta and BC will figure things out. 
Yeah, that's that's ridiculous, man. Yeah, I get that. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I I think it's important that uh, he's like I mean, he, be tough like his dad was. I mean, his dad was tough, but uh, at the same time, he pissed off an awful lot of Albertans. Uh, I'm talking about Trudeau Senior for those younger group people in the crowd. That's Jeff Trudeau. Jeff Trudeau, yes. Uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. And But he at least made a statement. He was a nationalist. He was stated for a, national, a nationalist views. But when you just vaguely uh, say something, I'm in favor of this, I've given you my support, and uh, we've given ourselves a carbon tax in order to favor that support. And now all of a sudden, uh, when it comes to the argument on the other side of it, uh, where we don't want the pipeline that we were promised in BC and you, and you're not going to help us win that fight, then that pisses me off. Well, and just that they're not even to take sides, right? Just to stay right out of it. Oh no. Well, it was, it was a no, it was a no win for him. Uh, I mean, he's, he's never going to, win a lot of votes in Alberta. I don't think, I don't think Albertans tend to vote liberal very often, if at all. So I I don't see a lot of, I don't see him winning a lot of votes by making Albertans happy. On the other hand, he does have the risk of losing a lot of seats in BC. So if he did get involved, odds are it wouldn't be to our liking, but I don't know. Yeah, that would suck. I mean, but on the other side of it is like, you know, what about uh, Energy East? Uh, You know, that whole concept of uh, why don't we put a pipeline out east? I mean, why are why are uh, the why is the St. Lawrence filled with shipping containers from full of oil from Venezuela and from uh, Saudi Arabia uh, all the time to feed the rest of our country oil when you could just put it in a pipeline? Like if you're talking green, like put it in a pipeline and send it out east. And I mean, what was it, Irving? What was it? Who's the eastern oil company that uh, that has the factories out there that wanted it? It was in. Oh yeah, no, I don't know the name. I, yeah, you might be right though. Yeah. So anyway, I do think that uh, pipelines are uh, safe. I mean, I think there's ways to make pipelines safer. I mean, and if there's like, if you want to uh, protect the watershed in certain areas and you're concerned about it, I mean, put more strict regulations in that area, make a triple sleeve pipe in that area. Like, what if, what if they did, okay, they make a big pipe. What if underneath the pipe, right? So you got this big pipeline running yeah. along. What if underneath that pipe, Ken, they just you built a, like a big yeah, U shaped yeah, thing. Yeah. It could like hold anything that yeah. spilled out and just make that go the whole yeah. way too. Yeah. And then, you know what, you know what that is? That's uh, and you uh, or you sleeve the whole outside so you got two pipe system oh, okay. and on the outside of that pipe they have they have water okay so you have oh, water okay. yeah and that's the same water that they use they can pick up in the pipelines for all their fracking oh fracking so, water. Okay, and so yeah. it's like fracked water that you use and reuse and that goes in there collecting and it's like okay this water's too bad that's when we bring in the enzymes to clean it and then right. you get uh, the environmentalists happy and or we'll just dump it in the St. Lawrence cuz yeah, they, they, they don't have a problem they with don't that have there. problem with that they're fine with that all right, I think we just solved the problem. Yeah, sleeve it. Just sleeve it. Sleeve it. Just sleeve it alone. Yeah. Sure. No, no, don't sleeve it alone. That's what Trudeau's doing. National Talkie League. The best waste of time you can waste. Often on the uh, podcast, we like to talk about, uh, you know, movies and TV and stuff like that. Not music very often for some reason, but 
Often we talk about TV and movies. So where are you on on those subjects, Ken? Are you do you watch a lot of movies and and or TV? Well, I watch uh, a lot of both. I binge watch most of it because I am a draftsman and I have a double monitor system in my basement, and so I'm constantly watching a movie while designing a house. Excellent. Okay, so I do this a lot too. I'm working and I've got something on in the background. So do you have uh, do you have any sort of criteria about what you can and can't? watch while you're trying to work like that you um, make up not really i will pretty much watch anything i i watched uh, uh recently uh like if i get into a series i will watch it all the way through uh for example just recently i was drafting and i watched uh funnily enough i watched a spanish heist television series okay we're going to go and we're back going to, to spanish the we're going to take the bank out today but they had dubbed it all in english so you had some very uh canadian american voices for these and not really well dubbed it was kind of poorly dubbed but they were this the acting was great they were very talented actors except the voiceover uh didn't quite get the entire feel of it. But we are going series... to break into the bank now. The yes, bank will be we are. Into. Our Canadian into or our American intonations were slightly off. <laughs> it's about time we go to the bank now. But I do think you know if you're going to take a Spanish, why didn't they hire us? Exactly. I would at least do this English ridiculous accent yes. for one of the characters. Okay, it's time for us to go into the bank now. Don't I don't want any trouble out of you. If there's any trouble from you. That's it for you. That's right. You will die. I will have to use this gun, and I will use some uh, use this machete. I also have a gun, and I will put bullets in the gun, and then I will fire the gun at you, and the bullets from the gun will go into you. And then you there will like be that. holes in me, and yes. then I will not be able to safely drink a bottle of water without it gushing out. That's correct. <laughs> so no, I, the reason I asked you that question was because I find... Um, sometimes with music more when I'm at work, but when I'm at home watching something, it can't be something that's too interesting. Because mm. if it's too interesting, I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll be watching. So I tend to find things that can just be on in the background or, or things that I can listen to more than actually watch. Well, I'm fairly visual, uh, like, because I'm on the monitor on the other, right on the other monitor. Uh, I'm, you know, the drafting, uh, I can pretty much do both. I don't tend to watch as much as I do listen. Right. But, and then once in a while, It'll draw my attention to it. But ever since I was young, I've been doing drafting and watching something as well. So I think I, my brain is somehow trained to perfectly do that. But I do notice that I will turn off or I'll pause the TV when I'm uh, doing uh, doing uh, code stuff or when I'm looking at bylaw checking and right. having to read and understand something focus when I'm focusing more intently. And do you find that you like go, is it more movies or is it more TV that you watch? Uh, I'll watch anything. I do find it's more TV because I need like hours upon hours of, of, uh, of that footage in order to get my drafting done. Right. Uh, so once in a while I'll throw on a movie. I, I think I watched Bright with Will Smith oh, yeah, uh, yeah. lately. I, I liked it. I like, I don't tend to, I'm not. Uh, like even though we are both in the entertainment industry to some degree, I'm not very critical uh, like some of our friends are about, uh, you know, well, I hated that movie because of this and this and the camera angles sucked and this and that. And I'm like, genuinely, I will watch a horrible movie and get 
just as much entertainment out of it. Like nice. I went and saw Warcraft. It was awesome. <laughs> like seeing those orcs that size killing each other. That was amazing. <laughs> um, do you, do you find you rewatch things? Like if you see, if you've seen a show, will you go back and watch the show through again? Mm, or are you more not into as much, stuff? maybe some movies. I, I'm usually into the, the newest and greatest thing. I will, I will watch maybe game of Thrones a second time just to go find a few interesting things that I didn't notice before, but right. But, um, and, uh, what, what, what sort of finds have you found lately? What would you recommend to people? As I as recommend shows? a Spanish height, uh, Spanish. television series. I don't know what the it's name called, of it is. It's called El Heist. El Heist. Which, yes, El Heist. <laughs> um, what else did I watch recently? Oh, I liked Bright with Will Smith. I thought right. that was a good movie to watch. Um, yeah, that was sort of what I've been focused. I kind of, for, I guess I don't watch them enough to actually retain them. Well, I mean, imagine you're also on site quite a bit too. So yeah. it's not like you're day after day after day sitting at the computer all day, right? Or... Yes, yes. No, like today I was actually physically doing stuff uh, on a site, sanding. But, uh, and then next week I might be sitting at the computer for two weeks. See, I've been working on a, a Lego project that's all sort of like Polynesian, Hawaiian based. And so I've been watching, you know, like uh, like Elvis oh. Blue Hawaii or oh, stuff like Elvis that. Elvis right? Blue Hawaii. Nice. So, get right? in the feel. Yeah, right. So you, you get in the mood or I'll you put music on. Get some on. Yeah. Absolutely. So do you do that as well if you're working on a drafting project? Do you, do, are you watching shows that are about a house? Or... No, no. <laughs> It's like uh, there's not many shows specifically about housing. Well, there's house. I suppose, but uh, that's medical homes field. On homes. homes on homes. <laughs> I don't watch Homes on Homes very much. I have to say, I don't, and it's not because I don't think he's a good contractor. I think it's frustrating for me because he never deals with the budget. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes to, I like, he goes, oh, well, this contractor did this and a contractor did that. And it was so wrong and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, okay, where was the homeowner that said, no, I'm not going to pay for that? Yeah, exactly. I'm not paying for that because that's too expensive. And I'm like, well, I, I don't want to not do it right. Okay, well, I'm going to go find the guy that won't do it right so I don't have to pay as much. Or it's entirely possible that that previous owner was like, well, you need to do it this way. Well, we don't have that much money. Okay, well, we can do it this way, which is not as good. Yeah. Uh, but that's all we can afford, right? And so, that I think possible. that happens an awful lot. Or it's a home handyman special. It's like, oh, well, I really need this pipe to go through here. Well, Right. And and how interesting of a show does he have if the guy who came in before him did everything right? Yeah. So clearly exactly. they're, they're amping that angle of things up. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, I always ask this uh, uh, of our of our guests, but um, so this is a two part question. Both parts are film related. Mm. Um, so, thinking about your profession, uh, well, the the building side of it, because you have a lot of eggs in the pot, um, so to speak. Uh, what what movie would you say most most realistically, or movie or TV show most realistically, sort of shows? Maybe it's building, maybe it's, I don't know, you know what I mean? Um, like the stuff that you do. And then the second part of the question that you can think about while you're thinking about that is, uh, what's your favorite movie that has something to do with what it is you do? It might, this might be hard. I don't it know. is hard. I mean, I, I would have to say building shows probably do, uh, like any homes on homes or uh, D, uh, DIY or uh, uh, D. 
DIY. DIY. Not, not DUI. DUI. It's yeah. probably a lot of that. Too. A lot of that, too. <laughs> That'd be a great show. DUI. But DIY, DUI. <laughs> I did it myself. <laughs> Seven bottles of beer. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I do think that any of those building shows are very similar to what I do. Um, but But I probably do about eight of the jobs of the people that they bring in rather than just one because I'm right. a small company and I do it mostly myself. I'm just trying to think of any shows that are even about builders or architects. Uh, I believe the father of the Brady Bunch was an architect. Yes, and George Costanza on Seinfeld <laughs> liked to pretend say he right. was an architect. Art Vandalay. So I would say San uh, I would say Seinfeld directly George Costanza directly <laughs> related to me. I am, what was his name, Vandalay? Art Vandalay. Art Vandalay. Oh, no, I, wait, Art, maybe Art Vandalay was the importer-exporter. Oh, right. I could be wrong. That's... Yeah, he was an architect at one point. But I'm not an architect. I'm just a technologist. I have to be clear on that. Right. I can only design up to five units at okay. a time okay. and uh, within a certain amount of square footage, I believe. Um, Arrested Development is about mm. a family that is involved in... Yes. In housing, building that, housing. I did really enjoy that. Um, they didn't delve into it as uh, much as I would hope, because <laughs> uh, then I would, be, I would be really entertained. That um, is a great show for the stuff we're talking about, which is while you're doing something else, mm. because as well as having a ton of visual jokes, mm. there's a bunch of stuff that you may not catch yeah. Unless you're just listening and yeah. you're not looking at the pictures. But I do believe jokes. I did watch all of Arrested Development while drafting. Excellent. I have been through it a couple of times because I very much enjoy that show. Mm. Uh, and uh, what would you say is, uh, is there any movie or the best movie that sort of, that is about the stuff you do? Is, mm. is there a good movie? Well, you the know. Money Pit. Uh, Money uh, Pit, maybe. There's not a lot of movies about renovations. There's not a, uh, yeah, the money. <gasps> Lethal Weapon. There's a, there's a section of Lethal Weapon that takes place in an addition on the side of a house. Yeah, it's not going to do it, no. <laughs> I mean, I have to say the most of the movies that I like are nothing to do with what I do for a living. It's more. Die Hard. There's that section where they're in the part where they're still working on the floor. It's still framed out. Yeah. No. no. Okay. No. I mean, I enjoyed those movies, but not because of the renovation. I do like heist movies once in a while because I did spend an awful lot of time drafting ductwork for an engineering company. Okay, yeah. And then they always go through these perfectly clean ducts and they don't get cut up. Well, just for everyone to know, they put about uh, inch screws everywhere connecting these ductwork. So if you're going to crawl through them, you're going to have uh, screws ripping through your clothing <laughs> into your knees. And it's slowly, they uh, make it go down smaller and smaller. So there isn't three foot by three foot ductwork that goes all the way through buildings. I was just going to say, for the most part, could you even fit inside of most ducts no. anywhere? <laughs> No, but I jokingly did try uh, and design a, uh, we were doing a bank, and I did try and put a three foot by three foot duct uh, right to the vault, <laughs> directly from the roof, just to make it easy for a heist, but uh, that was caught. That they was, uh, they didn't like that, No, did they? No, they... That's excellent. Well, and of course, the duct generally, would, would it not immediately fall to the ground? 
Like you're not, not necessarily. You're, you're, they, not, you're not strapping that duct in to be able to hold a couple hundred pounds, are you? No, but it does. It does. It, they can take some weight. I've often stood on some duct work. Uh, occupational health and safety. Please turn off this radio message right now. <laughs> uh, I have stood on duct work a couple of times okay. to get at some high uh, work that was required. Uh, not the best thing to do, but uh, but it will hold. It will hold <laughs> some weight. Uh, the other one that just immediately jumped to mind that you see in TV and movies all the time that is arguably 100% false, you can verify this or not, is you've got the scene where everybody, all of a sudden they needed a diversion and so someone takes their lighter out and they put their lighter up to a sprinkler, mm. which turns not only that sprinkler on, but every single sprinkler on. Well, no, they're, they are interlocked. So right. that is true. You possibly could do that, but not. it's not generally... Like the heat, I do believe, would melt. There's a little wax uh, wax seal that once, it, once that wax breaks, it will... So that is possible to do it, but it's usually zonal controlled. It wouldn't be the whole building. It right. might be in it would just be one that zone. one, right? It'd be like five. So if you if you lit up that one, it would turn the the other ones near. Because there's also there also has to be a water pressure issue at some point. Yeah. If you turn on every single sprinkler, yeah. you're not going to have enough pressure to no. put no. out the fire, right? No. Yeah. There's something so, called a deluge system where uh, they would they they have a, a sprinkler tree down in the basement, all full of valves, and then right. it'll it'll. And they luge it up to the yeah. other floor. They luge it up to the floor, just like our Canada winning gold medalist. Right, that's probably what they do the rest of the year. I yeah. would think. Um, is there other stuff like that? Like when you're watching a movie that's not about architecture or, mm. or building, do you ever notice stuff in movies and you're like, oh, that drives me crazy because that that's that would never happen or you would never do this. So stuff like that. Well, uh, we should. Uh, I think I don't know. Maybe you've brought this up on before, but uh, I had. A humorous view of what ha- occurred on the top of a mountain in um, Mountain Peak in uh, Lord of the Rings when they wanted to light a beacon. Oh so no! no. Want- tell, tell me about this. Yeah. So anyway, they wanted to. Uh, so during Lord of the Rings, uh, Gondor was, or sorry, uh, Gondor was being attacked, and Rohan, uh, Rohan, and Gondor long ago, a thousand years ago, set up a beacon system on top of the mountains, so okay. that there was a pile of wood on top of every other mountain, uh, all the way from Gondor to uh, Gondor to uh, Rohan, which right. is I don't know, thousand miles away. It's like across the city. It's, from, it's Vancouver to Calgary. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, then, then these beacon miners. So they lit the one in Gondor. Now right. keep in mind, this system has been in place for a thousand years. Right. So basically a thousand years of families, you're talking about 1500 generations of people were minding this pile of wood, waiting on the base of the mountain, looking, (laughs) always watching. If you ever see that thing light up, we're going to have to light this one. I will train you how to do it. But you can never do it. It's never happened in my lifetime. It's never. But it might happen in yours. Yeah. And I would imagine there are a certain amount of telephone. Like, it's like, do they even know how to yeah. light the beacon? Yeah. Uh, and then the economic, like, how are these people maintained? Who feeds them? Gondor obviously let half of its kingdom die. There's a lot of people living on mountains. Yeah. In that. There's a lot. Like, and you, I, I just couldn't imagine that. That So, the Gondor uh, beacon. So, I, I always wanted to do... Uh, uh, the two beacon minders. The story of the beacon minders. The beacon minders and just tales of the beacon minders <laughs> and what they talk about. Uh, maybe they have a little talk show like this. Maybe they have the Gondorian Talkie League. Nice. 
Uh, then you know what the, I hear is going on in Rohan these days. <laughs> Well, I don't even know that we would talk about what's going on in Rohan. I'm not. I'm sort of in between Rohan and Gondor. I'm not yeah. sure if I affiliate with either either of them politically. Well, you know, if they're not gonna if they're not gonna put the oil through, then I'm not gonna drink any of their wine anymore. Yeah. Well, I can't have wine all the time. It would be glorious to have wine. Well, yeah, but you, if you had wine all the time, how would you keep your eye out for the beacon? Well, I'll keep my lazy eye up for the beacon. Oh, it's... Sauron's lazy eye, more like it. <laughs> so anyway, once in a while, I'll pick up something like that in a movie. Like Star Wars, like the third Star Wars movie by George Lucas out of the remakes. Uh, so are we talking Return of the Jedi? No, the... Oh, the... the of the... Uh, what's the, the fire one? Punching all the return of the other guys. Yeah. It'll no. come to me. Keep talking. Anyway, so so at the end of that movie, you have Darth Vader, a newly suited Darth Vader, and the Emperor looking at the skeleton of the Death Star. Of the Death Star, right. Okay. Course. 25 years later, the Death Star was completed Ten. because New Hope was supposedly the age of Luke Skywalker. Sure. Right. Or 20 years, whatever Luke Skywalker's age was. Right. Okay. My question is, that was a substance... You could tell that that was a Death Star. Okay. Um, so it was framed enough that It you was could... framed enough that it was a Death Star. Yeah. Um, it took them 20 years to complete that. What kind of construction meetings was the Emperor sitting in? <laughs> sitting in these meetings going, Oh, well, um, I don't like... I want it all red velvet, <laughs> and I want this. How many engineering teams did the Emperor have to fire to get what he wanted? How many people were killed in uh, lightning meetings where the Emperor freaked out and sizzled everybody in lightning? It's got to be a lot of work doing that in space. Because yeah. there's no gravity, right? Yeah. So you got to weld. Well, and you no got oxygen. Yeah. And you got to keep it hidden because yeah. it's a Death Star. Yeah, that's right. You don't want anyone to know about it. Yeah. And it's hard to move because there's no engines in it yet. Yeah. So to rebuild it, you got to bring those guys in. Or do you? Or did you pretend it? You're building it and pretending it was something else. So you parked it next to a planet and said, "Oh yeah, no, it's just our scientific research. We're building a little science science station up you, there." Do you think that, like, if you if you zoom in on that shot that you were talking about, that there would be like like a line of like old guys from the 1920s in New York, like sitting on yeah, top sitting of one of the on it. Yeah, sitting on it. They're all a bunch or? of bunch of not stormtroopers. They would be workers, so they would be. I don't know. I haven't seen. Maybe they'd just all be droids. I yeah, I guess because so, it'd be hard to eat your lunch in yeah. space too. Oh, that's a that's a good that's a good painting we should do for Lucas. We'll do the <laughs> painting of them on sitting on the sitting on the Death Star overlooking. We're gonna blow up that planet someday. <laughs> overlooking Alderaan. <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine like that guy who who was like the the, the main contractor yeah. for the Death Star? Oh, like, he flips his paper open and they're mm. like Death Star destroyed. Oh, like I spent twenty years working on that thing. I they blew it up two days after it went off. I still haven't been paid my last draw. <laughs> I got twenty. I got twenty percent of uh, deficiencies that were never paid for. That Emperor Palpatine, let me get him. Oh, oh. he's dead. Ah. 
Well, he wasn't dead. Oh, that he wasn't one. dead. The he one he was busy working on the second. Oh, but try it, try and where, where is it? Yeah, uh, it's gone. Yeah, I'm not the, paying the you. Paper. I'm not paying you. Yeah, uh, in fact, give me a lower quote. Give me. He's yeah, like Trump. Because you're working on the next one. Yeah, now. you're working on the next one. Make it better. Make it better. I want it. Make it look less complete, <laughs> but more powerful. <laughs> And, and then they went the planet route with the third one. They were like, why do we have to rebuild this entire thing that's round? Yeah, let's just let's just build inside a planet. So So yeah, so the the laser in the Death Star. Yeah, it's a laser. Right? So the, why didn't they call it a laser moon? But but that was the only thing that the Death Star really had going for it. I guess other than the fact that there was a bunch of ships on it, right? Yeah, there was some some TIE fighters. But the point of the Death Star was never, oh, we're gonna have a ton of TIE fighters on this thing. It right. was that we've got a giant laser. Yeah. So did they need that whole sphere or could they have just built that? Like it, did they overbuild this thing? Um, I, I think there would have to be a number of redundancies. They did not overbuild it because All they, right. uh, they put, they only put a single vent into the, uh, into the shaft. Right. Uh, and I think that, I mean, if you're going to have that many people on a Death Star, I think you're going to need a few more vents, especially just for the toilets. Right. Like how, how's the plumbing working? Like you got to vent off the, or else the whole place is gonna smell like farts. <laughs> it's like, uh, no. Uh, well, how many how many toilets do we need, Emperor Palpatine? Uh, well, I don't think we need any. Well, according to Alderonic rule, you're gonna need uh, you're gonna need half. Uh, you're gonna need five hundred per per for per every uh, five hundred people, men and women. What do you mean? There are no women stormtroopers. Ridiculous. Maybe stormtroopers don't poop. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, they're they are humans. They're clones technically so they should no that those ones weren't oh that's right those ones weren't the later ones weren't they the earlier weren't ones were because the clones didn't work so well yeah because they got beat up yeah yeah like the guys in that third movie yeah um yeah interesting so so yeah my, my idea was like does it need to be this giant sphere or could it have just been like a laser that floats through space yeah because the shape doesn't matter no, not, it's not necessarily. It doesn't have to be aerodynamic. Yeah, you don't need to build a sphere. That's the worst shape you could build. It's mm. the most difficult shape to build. Why would you make it look like a moon? Well, because I think they wanted to make it a moon because the Borg already had some marketing uh, issues mm. with this with the cube. Yeah, that's true. And then the 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 Gauld have the, right, pyra- the pyramid. Star, um, Stargate then, guys. Yeah, Stargate guys had the pyramid, and then right. you had. Oh, and then the Cylons had two discs uh, right, right. separated like a spinning a top. Wow, so they pretty much nailed all of the shapes? Yeah, they, they Like can... a pentagon-shaped? Yeah, what was it, pentagon? I think there is one somewhere. Probably. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe the pentagon built it, who knows? Yeah. Um, no, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how do you feel about James Bond movies? This is for you, Brian. Oh, I do like them. I always wanted, you know, I always wanted to do a, a little skit where you would have james bond running and chasing the bad guy but actually have the band doing the music to james oh, bond chasing okay, yeah. him after and they're the string section the string the, section yeah. everyone like everyone's <laughs> just running after him doing everything he's doing uh but uh, yeah no i like james bond movies uh i liked i mean i liked the early ones in their time yep and now that there's newer ones, I like those better. So who's your favorite James Bond? I still I still like Sean Connery. Sean Connery? Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. I've got a collection of Funko Pops here that I'm pointing out to get. dog, Indiana. Yeah. yeah. Sean Connery. Yeah, I I think I probably have to agree. I like Daniel Craig a lot. 
But yeah. I think ultimately, I think Connery is yeah. is the Bond. Yeah, Moore no. was a little too of his time. There was a little too much seventies. Yeah, it was a bit too cheekiness. But uh, yeah. but I did like Connery. Um, yeah. But uh, and then and then yeah, Craig is Craig is good up there. Um, architecturally speaking, uh, what was your favorite uh, Bond uh, creation? Oh well. Not, Talk to me about not, building your base in a volcano crater. No, I, you know what? I, I didn't, uh, at the time when I was watching those, I wasn't an architectural technologist mm-hmm. or whatnot. But uh, but uh, during the Daniel Craig ones, I did love the sinking uh, Venetian uh, townhouse. When, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like yeah, I, loved, great, yeah. I love the stuff in Venice. I, I love old architecture. So I haven't ever been to Europe uh, in that regard. I, I guess I was in Holland and Rotterdam, but uh, but I was never in Venice and places like that where you have the canals and, uh, and the architectural uh, feat of having basically a house on stilts and going down to, uh, going down to, uh, a water line that's too high. Like someday that whole city is going to sink mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's nothing they can do about it. But I do love that old style of architecture. So, well, and that building too, that way uh, they basically you, you know, model work. The thing I like about a lot of the bond stuff is that they do practical effects. Mm. It's getting a little more CGI these days, yeah. but you know, if you read through, I got this great book that kind of lays out every single movie and they talk about like that model of the Venice mm. building that they had to destroy Ooh. and how they make it look so it's like the real thing. And um, one of the movies they were talking about, uh, Free Your Eyes Only, uh, there's like half the plot is about this uh, this girl who her father owns a diving company. And so they end up spending a bunch of time underwater and they have to go under there and like share a tank yeah. when they get thrown in. If you remember that movie, there was quite a bit of underwater stuff. And I'm reading through this book and uh, it turns out the girl uh, that played the main, the, the lead other than Bond, um, had a like an inner ear issue. She couldn't go underwater. Mm. So none of the shots that of close-ups of her underwater were filmed underwater. Right. So they literally, they took... Uh, the camera, they put a giant tank of water in front of the camera. Yeah. And then they had her on the other side of that tank. And then they put a bunch of wind machines in so it blew her hair around. So it looked like she was underwater. And That's if you didn't hilarious. know that, you would never figure it out. That's hilarious. That's what I like is that kind of ingenuity and stuff. Yeah. That's awesome stuff. Well, I mean, movie magic is amazing. I mean, I love it. I was in a TV television show a while ago and, uh, and we got to blow up a blow up a basement when I was there that day. All right, tell me about that. Uh, we were uh, I was working on Fubar Age of Computer with Dave Lawrence and Mike Douse, and uh, I got to play a, a Croatian vigilante. And uh, we actually had a war episode where we were fighting against each other uh, and flinging beer cans and dildos at uh, North Darling who played the character Shank and then I created an IUD as my expert Croatian from the Balkan Wars and I uh, uh, a beer can hit this this thing and the whole basement blew up wait wait sorry did you mean an IED I improvised IUD <laughs> An improvised explosive device, an yeah, IED. IED. Not, not an interuterine device. Uh, yes. An, Sorry, I was IUD. confused for a second. You know what? I, I have to go back. I think I said IUD even in the TV show. 
Okay, so sorry, you made it. Yeah. You made an explosive device. Yeah, not made... not something that would prevent pregnancy. Yes, okay. yes, that's true. Okay, and it, anyway, the whole basement blew up, and then all the effects and smoke and uh, a little contained explosions and everything it was a great day yeah that's a lot of fun that stuff the practical effects and what and what have oh, yeah you. yeah for sure yeah i totally love to get into stuff like that but i've never had the opportunity there's not enough movie work that happens in calgary well that or you got to go and be an extra or something and uh that's, a lot of effort involved yeah for a very little gain, I would yes. say. There's, there's more stuff shooting in Calgary, though. Like, we've had Fargo the last couple of years, and it yeah. seems like there's, uh, you know, more and more, well, DiCaprio's film there. Yeah, Revenant. but there's no real roles for Calgarians. Right. Yeah. Like, they, they film that all out of Vancouver, and or sorry, they cast it all out of Vancouver and Toronto and L.A. Like, there are no roles. Like, there, there were, frankly, uh, there are a few of our friends that actually got on to uh revenant and and fargo and all of that but but it's usually like you know actor number waiter number two yeah, says yeah, two yeah lines. a couple lines yeah but yeah. our friend dave trimble has done well with yep. uh, a number of uh, films and tv shows and whatnot uh but but i i it was such a slog i had to go make make a living yeah it's tricky i mean uh, and all of those guys that uh that i know that pop up in these tv shows that still live in calgary all of them have other jobs they're not yeah. just acting as far as i know so yeah it's true yeah it's a tricky business for sure and so of course you've got your you've got your side gig so you can keep doing some uh, do you go on a lot of auditions and stuff or is it more just if someone gets a hold of you and says hey i think you should go for this thing no i quit auditioning i retired yeah i retired i i i, I found i'm not very good at memorizing stuff right. and i would have anxiety over memorization mm. and so Usually if someone says, hey, I got this thing, and then he'd be great, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Or, hey, you should go and audition for this thing because I think it would be perfect for you. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I don't tend to go on a lot. Though, interestingly, I was talking to a friend, um, and he was saying that uh, he runs a, like a sort of a small film company that they do commercial work and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And he was saying that sort of that our, our demographic, sort of the 35 to 50 kind of uh, males – uh, they have a hard time finding people mm. in that age group because either by that point you've either will, made it or yeah. you've given up, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. That's we have. Yeah. We've we've given up. <laughs> we've given up, and once in a while, I'll do a favor for a friend, yeah. or I'll go out to the odd audition uh, if somebody has asked me to. But yeah. but I tend not to go out of my way. I'm not a member of Actra. I don't think I would ever join unless I got a TV series. Well, and it's tricky too if you're if you do have some sort of a side gig because now you need to. Uh, make time to go to that audition. So you're probably taking some time off work to go to that audition. And then if you get the part, they're like, oh, we need you available for these two weeks and we're going to Vancouver or something. Yeah. And so now you got to figure that out too. So it can be tricky for sure. Yes. It, it, speaking of which, I was just in Vancouver. Is that right? Yes. I, I got to film a motion capture. I was in one of those black suits with little reflectors oh, all cool, over cool, cool. it. And, uh, and I was filming for, uh, um, what's that? Uh, I, Ident no, not identity. Uh, um, it was like like game engines. Game engine. Unity. Or Unity. Yes. Yeah. It was for Unity. They uh, they they were doing a new software development 
for something that they want to showcase. Right. And so they wrote a little script and they wanted improvisers to go in there and uh, bring breathe some life into it. And so we went out there and it was a day of work running around in this black suit and them getting us to run around with guns like we were yeah. in video games and then doing some a little bit of stunts and stuff. It was totally fun. I do oh, that work good. for sure. Yeah, because you're not worrying about his lines and so much. They're mostly trying to get your your movement in well in the lines sense. they like the improvised oh, okay, lines yeah. so we improvised lines they and they also capture your face as well so they ah, can okay. they can model they can take your facial recognition and then they model the uh so you might pop characters. up in a like a video game we're watching more uh probably i uh, more like it'll be shown all over the world but it'll be in this little showcase like it'll be in um trade shows and stuff oh okay yeah a little demo so that'll probably be online at some point yep yep excellent mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Ken. It's been uh, awesome having you here as part of the National Talkie League. It's been a long time coming and uh, took us a while to get you here, but we'll have you back on again. To... Absolutely. And we will just like to say goodbye. Uh, hopefully, uh, Roger, that you're having a good time and we miss you. Yes, uh, I know you went to a uh, the football match before, but hope hopefully you had a chance to go to yet another football game because you can never go to many. That would be amazing. It's and so try good. to get into a football hooligan fight. Yes. Yeah, because you are an opinionated uh, little son of a bitch, and I'm sure you could get into lots of trouble. You've been listening to the National Talking League. Show notes from this episode can be found at nationaltalkingleague.com. Support for this podcast comes from you. Please share it on social media. Give a five-star review in your favorite podcast store. And connect with us on Facebook. On behalf of Roger Kincaid and Dave Ware, thank you.